to you from the City of Roses. This is the broadcast by Lash Professionals and for Lash Professionals. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Today, we have one of our favorite people coming on the show, Shelby Tarleton from Lash Boss Radio and Pink Lady Lash, her salon. We are super jazzed at her on. Why? Well, because, well, she's a soul sister, I guess you could say, with us. We've been friends for a few years now. She has her own podcast. She works, has her own salon. And she's a team-based salon like us, and we just think the world of her. She's amazing, and we're so glad to have her on. She's going to share her journey, but started in beauty school, this dream to have a lash salon, how she built that. Then she expanded two salons, and then 2020 came, and she decided to downsize to one salon. Was that because she had failed? No, guys. Things change, and also as you get more savvy, business savvy, get experience, you begin to realize some things aren't what you thought they were going to be. And then you begin to realize, well, maybe this is not as cool as I thought. Maybe having 18 salons one day won't be as much fun. Maybe I'd like having one profitable salon and having a life because once you start getting bigger and bigger, your time can get sucked away from you. So anyhow, Shelby's going to share this journey. We hope this is a big encouragement to all of you out there who are thinking about having a salon one day or maybe having multiple salons and you can learn from her experience. And if you're not doing that, still, I think you'll learn a lot from this because if you're working in a salon or you're working solo, at least this is going to give you the bigger picture. You're going to be like, oh, I, I see. I can see how that could work. So hopefully you'll get a lot from this. But before we get into the interview, let's do a few quick announcements. First, we have our Apple Podcast giveaway, where if you write a review right now on Apple Podcasts and screenshot it and email to paul at lashcastpodcast.com, then I will add your name to the hat or I will put your name in the drawing and we will pick one winner for this $200 Amazon gift card at the end of the month. We gave one away last month and we're going to keep doing this, guys. So do it today. Go write that review. Thank you so much for that. Also, we have our Lashcast Insider, guys. The Lashcast Insider Club, I should say, which is the best club in the world. Well, that's my humble opinion. And this club, what's it for? Well, basically, you're going to get all the latest stuff from us as far as discount codes for LashCon, discount codes for our webinars, and our upcoming coaching program. So you do not want to miss this club. Go to the show notes or the Instagram page or in the bio, and you can sign up there. By the way, guys, we want to interview you. There's a lot of you out there who probably feel like you have a story to tell, and you just don't think anyone cares. Well, we care, and we want you to submit your story to us. Now, how do you do that? You email it to paul at lashcastpodcast.com. Keep hearing that email. Just send me your story. Send me what is unique about you. And by the way, all of you have something unique. All of you have something about how you started your business, how you got through a hard time, how you had to shift, pivot. I mean, after 2020, we all have stories, guys. If you hadn't had one before, now you do, I'm sure. So we want to feature you both in two places, either on our clubhouse or on our podcast, or possibly both. So if you have something you want to share with the world, some tips, insights, something about your last journey, please email me and let me know what it is, and then we're going to start picking people and inviting you onto the clubhouse, which is Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Um, so make make time for that. It's a specific standard to- um, time. Anyone on the iPhone, sorry, Android, not yet, you can join us every Thursday night, and you can be basically get interviewed and be on our podcast that way, or just be in the audience, listen, and come up on the stage and ask questions and all that stuff too. So hopefully we will see you on Thursday, every Thursday at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, and please submit your stories to me right away. We're looking for people right now. I have one person in line, and then I'm going to start needing more. So let's get that going. Last two things, guys. Lash Boss Conference is coming. Um, that's Shelby's thing. That's going to be – she's going to be doing an announcement next week. 
All the details to come. It's going to be virtual, so you should definitely get ready to buy your tickets for that. You don't have to go anywhere. You can get it for a very affordable price and get to see a lot of great speakers and, and connect with uh, others in our industry. And LashCon ticket sales are coming in May, most likely. It's going to be live here in Pasadena. We are just waiting to make sure the <laughs> things kind of really continue in the, in the good path that they are, and then we are going to put those ticket sales out there. All right, guys, uh, that's pretty much it. So just remember this uh, episode, not the best recording. And by the way, when we do our clubhouses, they're not going to be always the best recording, too. We try to record with professional equipment, but these other tools, which are really cool and awesome, don't always provide the best so we'll do what we can but otherwise guys hopefully you're going to enjoy this interview where we sit down with shelby and talk about her last journey going from beauty school to two salons back down to one salon and all the crazy stuff that went along with it should be really good guys hopefully you enjoy hey there hi so good to see you. You too. I think it's going to be exciting to hear really the big story, right? I mean, you've, yes. you've done every, like a little bit of everything in our industry. And with that comes wisdom and knowledge and hopefully stuff that can help other people. So I guess we met you basically when you started doing your podcast. I think that's when you came out, I reached out to you mm-hmm. and you thought I was a weirdo and you, you weren't so sure. <laughs> but... That said, we eventually connected, and it's been a wonderful relationship knowing you all these years and being connected to you in some way and supporting what you've been doing, and you've been so supportive of us, and it's been really a, a special journey to walk alongside you. But also to know that you, um, you know, very vulnerable, shared your journey online or on your podcast about, hey, I was in beauty school, and I was all excited about the dream, right? You're planning your empire and how that was all going to play out. And it was really kind of cool that you were just open about that and what you were wanting. And then you got into it and then you started seeing the, the work that was behind the dream and it wasn't so easy, right? So I thought we could start first before we get into the downsizing. Let's talk about the expansion. What was your dream? What were you thinking when you were in beauty college and before you got into this salon business stuff? I was in college and I was like, I'm going to go to beauty school. I'm going to open a lash salon. Like I just already knew I wanted to do that. And I would sit there in my book and it's so easy to plan out like what it's going to look like, how many people you're going to have, what your prices will be. That's all the easy part. And it made me feel like just so motivated to get there. And I would just write like, I'm going to have a location in Miami, one in New York, one in California. And that's still written in there, but I have no desire to do that anymore. So anyway, I go to beauty school and, you know, I started out as a mobile lash artist and then I was working out of my mom's house. And then I was working out of my apartment when I finally did an apartment. And then I finally rented a suite. And then I, I kind of just did things, um, the little tiny steps. And I worked really, really, really hard. I worked so many hours and I eventually opened up a salon and it was like a hundred or thousand square feet and like beds. And when I got to that, I kind of was like, I have been waiting for this for so many years. It had been like four years making and I felt like I should have felt this like, wow, I've made it. I climbed the top of the mountain, like I can just have a sigh of relief. And when I didn't feel that, it actually felt worse. Like my, I was stressed out all the time. I was anxious. I thought that I had everything planned out. And whenever things would come up and, you know, financial stuff 
or commission-based, et cetera, et cetera. I was like, I think the answer is to just open a second one. And I just need to get started and get these salons open. And then from there, it just like wasn't the right answer. And yeah. It's just, it's like you, you go, okay, I have a lot of troubles now, but what I need now are more troubles. So let's open another location. <laughs> yeah. I think it was an ego thing too, like, but I did it. And as soon as I did it, I was like, this was the wrong decision. But I kind of held on because I didn't want to be wrong for a long time. So, yeah. well, yeah, it's our ego, right? We, 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 we do things because we want to look smart and look good. And then also when you realize, like we've many times, wow, I'm not that smart sometimes and I, or overstep or overexpand. I mean, for you, I, I remember, um, I mean, I actually, let me just say this. I remember hearing someone, I don't remember who said this. It was actually a, a great way to look at expansion. Um, they said, they asked, because we were thinking at one point of expanding and we had clients all over Southern California back in the days. And they were like, so they would drive two hours from our salon. So like, could you open a place near us? I'm like, yeah, we need to do that. But um, when I was turning this person, he goes, well, is this an ego expansion or this is a, a, an expansion out of necessity? Like you guys have maxed out your space. You have no more room. No one can get in. Every hour bookable is booked. And you're like, and you've raised your prices. And you've just, you've maxed out, like you're at the top. And then, yeah, at that point, they're suggesting that's when you really think about expanding because you, you've done the most you can. You're probably you're the most expensive salon and you have the a book, full book. So it makes sense. You need to go somewhere else or go larger with your current salon, one or the other. And that was actually kept me from going because we, while we were booked, we weren't always, we weren't 100% booked. And I just felt like I would end up, if I opened another location, actually would end up gutting my current location a little bit if they were too close too. So that was another concern. But I don't know, did you have to, did any of those type of things happen when you open another location? All of a sudden you realize I need a lot more clients and, and you have a lot more troubles. You have more staff and you have more bills and all that. Yeah, we opened our salon. It was in a different city, but it was still only like 20, 25 minutes away. And so we did have clients that would go to both or like would just started going to the other one, which was convenient for them. But I did have that problem. And I just was like, dang, now like staffing both and I can't be at places at once. That's a big problem. Training managers to trust, like when you're not there, whenever it was only just me managing that whole time, that was tough. And it was just also very interesting, like just the finances for both of them. You have to look at it like completely different businesses and because it had different expenses and different sales. And it was just a lot every single day. So... Yeah, and I guess for you, was it difficult to download your DNA on another person who had managed? Because obviously, you said you can be at both, so really, you have to copy yourself, clone yourself, right? Yeah, thankfully, I had like some pretty great managers, um, but there was still a lot of struggling along the way. Like, I had to go through some epiphanies myself. Just like I, my leadership changed a lot throughout the years in the beginning I was just I had that these high expectations but I just expected people to like understand it the first time I say it like very impatient and I'm not I, I'd like to think I'm not like that anymore but yeah it was just very stressful because whenever I wasn't at the other one I was just thinking about the other one and I could never just be present in anything I did because there's too much going on where I'm not there and I don't know what's happening yeah and I think learning to over communicate right i mean that's a, that's a big one because i think most of us at least when you start like 
feel like you should have said it once and everyone should get it and it should be move on next point and the problem is you have almost to be annoying as an owner you have to be like i need to start the sentence and you need to finish it for me and if you can't finish it that means i haven't said it enough yet yeah and i think that's a skill too like to not make people feel like you think they're less than or think mm -hmm. that Art just because you're like saying it so broken down because like one time I remember several years ago I was like can you repeat it back to me and like just the way that I came across just because I was trying to make sure she understood so that's a skill too to kind of master being very specific and making sure that there's clarity there without yeah. the other person feel like that yeah I mean because it could be condescending like okay repeat with me now and they're like Oh my gosh, Paul, you're so annoying. It's like, it's okay to be annoyed if you're doing it right, but I think there is a condescending or making them feel stupid. Like, you're an idiot if you don't know this. And that's not obviously helpful at all. Right. I mean, obviously, expanding to one location and then two locations and then back and all that, you face many obstacles and many changes. Just for the first time, like, for those, you know, those listeners right now and those watching here are thinking about maybe doing the first step, like hiring staff. What type of struggles did you have getting out of the gate? Like that first time, going back to when you first started opening your own place. Obviously, this is beyond you working by yourself, but you were about to get that 1,000-square-foot place, hire that staff. I mean, did you feel fully equipped? Did you know what you were doing? Or was it just totally shooting in the dark and guessing and hoping it all worked out? I mean, I have to say that, like, I do have a lot of the original people still around. And they, they, they stayed for several years. So mm -hmm. I did – I more with me like those people stay with me more than like thinking of people that like weren't good hires because I, I really fire pretty quickly but yeah. I did have some issues with like I guess when to hire the next one because I'd be like okay let me hire three people at the same time and then I would be screwed because all those people have to be paid and if yeah. they're booked like you're that's a mistake so it's like the pace at which which you do it that biggest thing like I never could fully figure out for a very long time and it's time to hire just one person I have my answer I'll give it after you do what's the most difficult thing in running a business I mean what is it you know the systems is it the staff is it where do you find the biggest pain point mine was mine is the financial stuff like that's not interesting but it's the most necessary thing that can make a I love systems. I love pointing the wheels. I love just, I love that. But finances, I've had to really learn that in budgeting. Like, I didn't do that in the beginning. I would actually act off of my heart and be like, I feel like you you need a raise. I don't really know how much I can afford, but yeah. this sounds right. Yeah, I know. Yes, we were the same way. It was purely guesswork. No idea of budget, no idea why we would do it other than that they've been there for a long time or something and felt like, oh, you deserve it. You're a good person. And yeah. then all of a sudden, the next month, they'd be like, hey, Tuss, I think we're not going to get paid as much. I think we're going to take a cut. <laughs> it's like, you, you just basically, which is, I mean, as an owner, you just do that because it's the right thing to do. But it'd be better to plan it and know why we were just guessing 
So understanding numbers is huge. And I, that was actually an area that once we took strategies like you, I, I love that. that. I felt so empowered. Like I had my spreadsheets. I could predict my revenue month to month. I can predict my expenses. And it just became a simple numbers game with a little bit of work. But eventually it all kind of worked very clearly. And I felt like we got things out of control that way. But I think the place that was the most difficult for me was the flipping hiring process. Just man, oh man, finding good people and not burning people or filling them out as fire people. And I blame that solely on me. Any hiring that doesn't go right, it's my fault. It's, it was never, I never blamed the team member. I always think everyone joins our team. They intentionally join with plans to be a good team member. They want to help the company. They want to grow the company. And then somewhere along the way, you know, we just don't crop, we miss it. Yeah, I think I've learned about that as well. Like, sometimes you hire someone and kind of forget, like, you make their first day special, but then you kind of forget that they, novelty is wearing off for them. So I find that especially in their first three months, it's so important to let them know, like, where they're headed and keep reminding them how they're doing, where they're headed. Because if they don't have that, it becomes just like they're not as excited. Then they start to think it's a negative thing that they're starting to and stuff. And yeah, because I found that people stay either like for three or four years or like three or four months. And that, <laughs> so I think it was like, I kind of not forget about, it, but I just kind of expect them to just be fine at a certain point. And there's just so much communication, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it, it comes down to, and as I think we both have learned, through, again, through all the strategies and shout out, it's like, it is about being intentional. Once a quarter, sitting down with your team and making sure that they're looking at the same roadmap that you're looking at, right? So you're saying, hey, this is where we're going. Are you going there too? And not just letting them run free for a year, because I found if we, if we missed a review or a one-on-one, they actually they actually a little distrust would begin to leak into the company because now they, you know they're kind of just running freelance and i just found out that they they really needed that touch that monthly even weekly at times communication where that you really let them know that i'm with you i'm here to support you i mean i always told my staff my job is to make your life better that's my number one job mm -hmm. description before my client our clients is make your life better so if i if i'm not communicating or touching base with you then unfortunately bad things are gonna fall out I, at least that's what i found yes for me that used i'm an introvert so that used to make me uncomfortable i used to like be like i hope they're fine i, I hope everything's okay i don't think i need to sit down we're fine and i just <laughs> like so scared to even I don't know. It was just weird. It was weird in the beginning. And now it's like we do performance reviews and like everything with team-based pay, it's not just about the pay structure. It's yeah. all about the systems within it. And that was a big thing was like realizing how important, like you just said, like all of that communication is really important to like keeping the team motivated and happy. Yeah. I found that by communicating with them, like literally, I would do what I call the daily check-in and I didn't get to everyone every day, but every week I at least would check in once or twice, say, hey, how's it going? How can I help you? Anything going on? And then we had a one-on-one, -on -one, so once a month, I would actually have a scheduled time, so that way that we missed boats in the night or whatever, we knew for sure we'd connect. And then yeah. of course, you know, the quarterly reviews. And once we got that, man, I knew almost a day when an employee went dark on me. I mean, literally, like, I'd walk in, I'd say, hey, how's it going? And you, and you just see their yeah. eyes would be looking down. I'm like, oh, my gosh, they're done. They're done. They're, they're on their way out. They're, they're, they're no longer part of the team. Is that what you're talking about? Yep. 
That sucks. Yeah, it's one of those things. It's a, it's a hard lesson and it's painful. But I learned that by doing that, we were able to part ways more amicably because I could tell, oh, wait, you know, they, they want to go. They got other things to do. And I don't want, I'm not here to drag them out forever and make them hate me and hate the company. And maybe it's time to have that talk. Say, hey, I noticed some things. How are you doing? And then I found that always, often the employees are so scared of being fired or whatever. And they'll just lie. Oh, everything's great. I love it here. And you're like, <laughs> Yeah, you love it so much you can't look at me in the eye anymore. You don't say hello in the morning. You come in and you're grumpy or whatever. Right? Something changed. It may be personal too, but that said, I, I, I could tell. And, and that's when the, it was time to maybe have those stuff, more difficult conversations, which by the way, as owners, the one thing I think I didn't realize my job was going to be holding people accountable and, and calling people out in a loving way, but that's yeah. a tough part of the job. And like something that just happened recently with us is like, I had to let somebody go because they were so toxic to the culture. Like I just, I felt, I felt like everyone was like this close to being like, dude, why aren't you doing anything about this Shelby? Mm -hmm. Because what you stand for is not like this person is clearly, you know, so I had to let her go. It was very, emotionally heated and stuff uh but it ended up that everyone even though i didn't tell anyone what the reason was and, and uh, like the details it everyone seems so much happier yeah and just better so like even that kind of stuff you can't just keep someone one around because you don't want to train someone new or hire someone new or find someone else to fill the position because what they're costing you and everything else is also quite expensive and stuff yeah no it's not just it's it's many layers i actually found that and i didn't believe this at first because i i saw their owner say oh yeah when i fired i had people come up and thank me for letting someone go and i was like oh i don't know about that and then no actually it's true when you have that cancer when you have that person who's decided to go to the dark side and uh join a darth vader and stuff you know that you let them go, people are looking to see what you're doing. Are you a leader or are you just a total weak, passive um, walking mat that everyone can just abuse, I guess? And then that was bad is then everyone else disrespects you now too. It's like, it grows. Yeah. And before you know it, you have a whole team that hates you. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, yeah. When people are dreading coming to work and stuff, like it's over. So you gotta make yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really your job is to protect the culture. And I mean, aside from making everyone's life better, a secondary job description would be like, my job is to protect the culture, take care of it, protect it, guard it. And then what the beautiful thing was I found for us is at first that was only me. Like I was the only one fighting for it or Tusty and I, but over time, I actually began to see our team fight for it. Like someone would come on and they'd be like, they wouldn't call that person out. Like, you can't be this way. You gotta stop that. That's not the way we do things here. Yes. It feels good too. Like, especially when people are like, hey, like this person isn't like kind of, this person isn't being lady-like. It's something that they'll say. And that feels good too, to know that it's kind of like a group effort to like keep it, you know, good vibes and stuff. Yeah. So. No, I mean, it means you finally, I think, accomplish to create the culture you want when the team is wanting to fight and protect it. It's not easy to do that. For years, we tried to, and I was the only one, or Tuss was the only one, and the team was just ignoring us. Probably because, again, I don't know about you, but when you start doing things right, the team generally thinks this is just a phase, right? You're just going to do this for a while, mm -hmm. and then you're going to give up on it and go back to the old ways. And so they're waiting to see, really, 
are you going to stick to your guns and really make this change a permanent part of the company? Right. I, I totally agree. Especially, I remember one time at a seminar, I don't know who I was listening to. It might have been a team-based day one. They were like, when you go back to work, like, don't implement all these changes because, yeah. like, you're, you just came off of that high of being at a business trip. Like, none of this is going to be, like, lasting. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they always use analogy of hanging. Like, how, what's your hang time? When they talk about, you know, you're hanging from a, or a basketball hoop or a cliff. Like, but how long are you going to hang on before you let go and just give up? And I think team members, when you've got a team that's UCU coming in regularly and be like, we got this cool change, blah, 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 blah. And then, that, like, two weeks later, it, it's like it never happened. What, what about that thing you say we're doing, Paul? Like, what are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. That, that, I didn't say that. And then, of course... That just built, that destroys trust in your team. Exactly. <laughs> Don't do that, guys. That's a really bad way to run a business. We actually had to create an in-house policy for Tuss and I. Like, when before we ever announced something, we'd say, think about, are we really ready to implement this new change? And are we going to enforce it and hold to it? Once we both were really sure, like, we're 100% on board, it's not going to change, we're going to do it. They say, okay, now we're going to tell our leadership, and let them know and get them to buy in on it. And then we'd have a team meet or monthly team meetings when we announce it. And I wouldn't just say, hey, we're doing this. I would actually would lay out a strategy, like why it's going to be there, how it's going to help us make more money, help yeah. make the salon better, so that there was really a solid foundation and that really also made me accountable now because I went to all this effort to announce it, make a big deal about it. And then for me not to follow up would be just really lame at that point. Yeah. <laughs> so now with you, um, you had the one location. And uh, so you had this dream of this empire in New York, Miami, all over the place, probably Beverly Hills, I'm guessing. What, um, what were the struggles to get in that second location? What did you have to overcome to get the second location open? And, and, and what were some new things that you just, just weren't ready for, other than, I guess, expenses and maybe uh, having to be at two locations, I guess, are obviously, obviously things you had to deal with? Um, so it was really that, like, I was having to use the first location's sales and stuff to float the, the second for a long time and then it became longer and longer and that's why I was like okay well let me just like pour more into this second location I it's gonna work it's kind of like somebody that's addicted to like gambling or something I'm sure <laughs> yeah. but they're eventually going to recoup it all and it was more because I still had I was still doing commission-based and still kind of going off of like what I felt so my first location was in an affluent area and I was, I got clientele really quick for all of the team there. It was really easy. Not the same type of clientele. It was very hard actually to get clients there. And that's when I realized like, oh, maybe I don't know everything. <laughs> so it was harder there. And then it was just like, since I'm paying two sets of everything, everything started to get confusing and tight and everything like that. And so, yeah, that was probably the biggest struggle was like the finances for the second one. Yeah, and I'm guessing your thought was, well, if I have more people, I should have more money. Yeah. And that shouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Uh, again, at this point, you probably didn't have a budget you were working with where you could really plot this out, right? No, I was like, wow, we're doing well. And then we I payroll that next week. Like, oh, wait, I thought it would just be confusing because that's how commission is, is it's just like this. And it's, yeah. yeah, so... I heard this nightmare story from a pretty well-known hairstylist who I followed. It was like 
seven, eight years ago, and he was doing a lot of YouTube videos. And he shared his story where he basically had two locations and they were doing pretty good. So he thought, well, Max will actually open a third location. He opens the third location and within like a month, he can't make payroll, not at all. So he literally has to gut the, one of his old locations within one or two months after opening the new location. He immediately has to close it because he literally has to take all the staff, combine, move them to the two locations from three and somehow borrow money to pay the bills and sell off the equipment from the old location. I mean, it was like a total disaster. Yeah. And I, I mean, I just felt like, that for me was actually my first time because we were thinking about expanding it. When I heard that, I went, ah, oh, maybe not. <laughs> like, well, I think people don't really realize how expensive it is to run a business and especially a salon. You don't go into being a salon owner to get rich, be a millionaire. Like you will not after on one location, especially or even two. And like there were so many times where I would pay myself like less than someone in training honestly like back in the first few years and for all of these people like oh you know I want to open my own salon one day so I'm gonna, I'm gonna quit it's like girl you don't even know what you're getting <laughs> so, yeah it's just you really gotta have a handle on your finances and even if you have like an accountant or whatever you have to know it too like mm -hmm you literally have to know your budget. Like if you don't know, honestly, something's gonna come crashing down one day for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's where a lot of people just think, I'm gonna make so much money as, as an owner. And I think almost 100% every owner I've ever talked to, hey, Tuss is on board, hey Tuss. <laughs> <laughs> almost everyone I've ever talked to who's been an owner talks about how they made less money once they hired staff. Literally, they took a pay cut. Like, yeah. The next paycheck, it's like, oh, interesting. I thought I'd make more, I'd make less. Yeah. And what's worse is they pile on to keep thinking, why well, need more people? Yes. And, and eventually I'll make more. And then the, and the problem is the numbers get worse and worse to where at some point the only money you're making is if you're in the chair doing the lashes or doing the hair, whatever it is. And that's the only way you're going to get paid. Because if you, if you step away and just manage, you're done. Yeah. It's a very hard spot to be in because you really shouldn't be like behind the chair if you are going to be managing because you're not helping anyone being behind the chair. You have to be a leader, right? Yeah. So, but if you can't do that because you have to make the money up, like it's so much. And that's why when people say like, I really want to open a salon, I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> you can make really great money working for someone, especially in a pay structure such as one with bonuses and benefits and like you can be, you know, I don't know. As a salon owner, you're paying for um, such a big portion of taxes and insurance. And if you're doing benefits, it's just so freaking expensive to, to run a salon and as an employee you have this mindset of okay well if I'm making this much then she's making this much and then if there's 10 of us that means she's making this much yep. you'd be so surprised to know you're it's no it's not like that it doesn't work no it's not like 50 like, like you said you have 10 people they get 50 percent and I get 50 percent that means I get quadruple the money they would ever make and I'm laughing to the bank every day they just don't understand that 
unfortunately, every person that goes in your salon tosses the company a certain amount of money, and it, and it it's almost exponential. Like it gets crazy, especially like I know you had health insurance, we had health insurance in our salon, and these things aren't cheap. I mean, on my ins health insurance bill, I think it was like five, six thousand dollars a month, yeah. mm -hmm. and and then um, on top of that, we you know California they charge you for anything else they can think of like workers comp is insane um and, and before you know it you're just like man how do i make a living uh, doing this thing as a salon owner it's really really tough it's not easy and if you don't like numbers you really shouldn't be doing it <laughs> no no so i think for a lot of people hopefully the takeaway for a lot of people as you're listening here is you will see that i mean while as much as i i, I actually think salon owners are the heroes of our industry more than last trainers more mm -hmm. than brand owners which i love them too but with the people really in the trenches doing the good hard work are people like you what we were doing i felt like because it's really the unsung hero of our industry yeah thank you um i agree <laughs> <laughs> It's like, you have no argument there. Like, no, son of your sock. <laughs> no, no it, it, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It, you, we pour so much into other people. And if I didn't have the salon, I could be traveling the world, training, whatever. And I'm here helping my team. I love my team. I love being a salon owner. If I won the lottery, I would still be doing this, honestly. So... Tuss and I had a, a conversation like, man, should we do this again? Because we, we have a model in our head. Like, I've already kind of plotted it out. This is how we're going to do it. It'd be like nothing that we see in our industry. It'd be crazy expensive. And it'd be pretty, it'd be small, like very, very like boutique. We're not looking to do, like the old days, we're like, oh, we want a salon with like 50 employees. <laughs> and we want to like be like the big hair salons. And really the trend now, even in hair world, is to go smaller. Like, uh, I, I went to a class a couple like over a year ago at, at serious business and these guys were salon consultants They're like no the big push now with salons is go 2,000 square feet or smaller and maybe 10 to 15 people like this idea of building a 50 person army that used to be really like the calling card in the life in the hair world but it's so hard to maintain sustain financially and it also the client gets lost in that world like it's just so enormous it's just not the best hot customer service yeah you know i just had joseph and lena on my show oh yeah yeah um so they i was asking them like you know about their salons and stuff and their franchise and they were saying how most of their franchises are just oh joseph there he is right now <laughs> He was just saying like how they'd rather have more like locations for convenience or more franchise locations for convenience for the clients than just one like huge one or something like that. Although I just expanded into a bigger location, but that's, I'm trying to do something with the other half of the salon because it's a big room that I'm tr hoping to do something in. <laughs> um, yeah. Like I'm actually, I feel like I can say it here because no one here is from there but uh <laughs> i am trying to probably open up a lash school like where you can get your license like in that thing because what that place used to be is like a yoga studio massage place and like a tea bar so we serve wine and champagne to our clients and then we've had we have our private rooms and then this area that you know i can teach in but i kind of want to bring up the quality of our education here in texas and yeah. Roxy from DFW Lash University is a huge inspiration to me. Like, 
because she did that over in Dallas, which is a few hours from me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd like to do something like that and just um, use my space for more things, possibly other things that I can't announce. But yeah, um, I, I love my other salons were that way. Like with, we just had 1000 square feet and but it worked, you know, mm-hmm. we made our expenses as small as we could get them and maximized how much we can get out of that space. Yeah. I mean, there's this concept of, uh, what's it, um, revenue per square foot where you want to maximize your square footage yeah. so that every space in your salon is making money in places that are really good. You know, I forget who it was. I was listening to that speaker. He talked about, you know, there are certain businesses that really are good at maximizing that square foot usage and there's others that just suck at it. Yeah. And so, yeah, for you right now, I'm sure you, you have the you have open space. There's got to be ways you got to start generating revenue because otherwise that's a big weight on the company causing you to lose revenue. Exactly. And we have some time just because it's actually in the same property. I got really lucky. Uh, so unfortunately, a business went out with um, the one we moved into. And I realized, like, I kind of had some leverage because it was such a big chunk of change that that property was missing out on. So I approached them and said, like, if you can give me a really good deal for a year, I will take over this space. And here's my business plan for what I'm going to do with it. And they went for it. So I'm basically not paying much more than I was already paying. And my space is four times as big. So awesome moved both salons into that building and so far it's been it's been great like no regrets there but but yeah so we have to figure out what we're doing with the big room but the school is the avenue i'm gonna go no that's awesome and then in texas it's actually a little easier in a sense right because you guys have the 300 hours right you can get a license in 300 hours it's only for lashes, correct? Yes, it's a 320 hour program. And so you don't have to be an esthetician or cosmetologist to do lashes. And so that's that's what I would be doing. Not like an esthetician. Why? I can't move the comments. <laughs> They're frozen? Yeah. So yeah, that's how it is in Texas. I think that eventually more states are going to do that, to be honest. I hope so. I, I think it's ridiculous that we, someone in California has to go 1600 hours get their esthetician license, which by the way, there won't be one question about lashes on the the, the, the test when you, you go to get tested by the state and get your uh, get certified or whatever, or get your, you know, not certified, but getting your license. Yeah. You will have one question about lashes. Then you turn around and go, okay, I'm done with all that. Now I have to go learn lashes separately and and, and spend two days learning lashes, which really is not where you need or what you need to, no. to become good at it. And, and then you start, then some of these people go on the open places, start doing lashes and charging. And you're like, whoa, this yeah. is just not healthy for our industry. And this idea of 300 hours or 320, I think is a great idea. And if someone like you, a real last person who's teaching it, now it's actually productive versus the typical beauty college where it's usually some disgruntled person who hates that they ended up here. And yeah. they're like, okay. We tried at some beauty colleges. This just said, "Well, it'll be good for me to see what that world's like." Mm-hmm. And she says, "It's it's a, it's a depressing world. Like no one wants to be there." Yeah, and I've taught at some beauty schools before, and they're, they're probably the best in our area. But I think the lash program in any school here in Texas is really lacking because they're using. I don't even want to say the brand, but it's a very old school way. <laughs> Just nothing else. One way of doing something. Nothing else. No volume. 
just classic. And that sucks because when people get out of school, it's like they still have so much more to learn. And the fact is that they're wasting a lot of time in school because they're just kind of setting them with a mannequin and being like, here. Yeah. So anyway, that's all. Yeah, by the way, test correctly, it's 600 hours. I, I said 16. I, I thought that was too much. 600 hours for SD, 1,200 for a hair. So they're good to be reminded that they're true numbers so I don't uh, get accused of lying. <laughs> but anyway, um, or more ignorance probably. For you, what was the thing that finally got you to go, I got to change this? Was, I mean, was it because of the pandemic and COVID and everything's crazy? Did you kind of read? Because so many people made big changes in 2020. Mm-hmm. Yes, and having my son too. Like, mm-hmm. I just realized, like, would I rather say that I have two locations or would I rather just be here? And when I realized, like, we probably were going to keep most of those clients because they go to both anyways. We're going to keep all of the staff at the second one. Why not simplify? And I did have dreams of doing other things, not just owning a salon, but I think I have shared this before, like doing an apparel line Mm -hmm. and other things and like the school and stuff. And when I saw the opportunity, I just was like, you know, I'm going to put my pride and ego aside and stop when something's not working, it's not working. And I just was looking at it just without any emotion, just logically to the number. And I was like, now's the time to do it. Um, and I just did it. So yeah. happy that I did. It simplified everything. My, I mean, I just don't feel as like spread thin anymore. Did you feel, was this a challenge for you, like feeling like almost like a failure? Like maybe you're going to let, like people are going to think differently of you. Like, wow, you went from two back to one. Like, is that, did I worry you a little bit? Because also you're on the stage, you have Last Boss Radio, everyone knows you. I mean, it's, you're a little bit more high profile than the average last artist. Thank you. I, um, I did have those thoughts as, like pre-pandemic. I kind of was already thinking that might eventually happen. It did, this wasn't just because of COVID, like I decided. It, but it was just kind of like the extra push, I guess. But it is something that, like, you know, when I'm giving a talk, it's like, oh, I have two locations or whatever. It's always been a thing, like a bullet point when people say anything about me. And it's not that important. And I I struggled with it a little bit. But whenever I thought more about, like, what I wanted my life to really look like in terms of, like, happiness and time and where I was spending my energy, I would rather you know, consolidate everything into one building. And when I'm at work, I can be doing this, this, and this at the same time and be there for everyone with my projects and just spend more time at home with my baby. So that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And I think that's people don't get understand the the dream sometimes you 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 can change it, right? You can alter it and go, know what? I was going this way wasn't quite working out. I began to experience frustrations that I knew that only get worse over time. And if you're like, I won't be over here. Well, then that's fine. Then pivot, change, say, no, I'm going to make these changes. Don't worry about people who judge you because the truth is really on the end, people, the ones who really love you, they're going to support you and they're going to be behind you. And there's some weirdo out there who's like, ah, look at Shelby. She failed. And yeah. who needs that in your life? Anyways, they were never for you to begin with. They were just some bystander who likes to poke fun at or probably is not doing anything themselves. Right. Um, easy to look at others and point fingers and look at yourself and see what you can do. Exactly. And people ask me, like, oh, will you ever have another one? Will you ever open, like, 
and other areas? And the answer is really no. Like the only way I would is if it was like doing a franchise, like I was saying, talking to Joseph, like the whole, the whole episode, which you will hear, like it's coming out tomorrow. The whole episode, all my questions were like real, were from me being like, wait, so how does this work? And like, cause I, I could totally do that. I could help someone do what I did and show them yeah. like, what doesn't work, what does. And that would be so fulfilling to me. But for me to just be the owner of all of these locations is not my dream anymore. Like what for? Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like you get some new plans, new ideas that are going to be exciting. And I think the franchising model, which we were totally against in the old days when we were had our salon, we we're like, Oh, we'll never franchise was We were afraid of losing control. We were afraid that the quality of the work would go down. And the truth is that would have been, if it did, it would be our fault still, because you can you can hold standards to um, franchisees. You can build the systems and the playbook, and this is how you do it. And that's what Joseph explained to us too. I was like, oh, okay, you can franchise and still have quality. It doesn't have to be another like Amazing Lash. You know, or, is it Amazing Lash? Yeah, or, you know, one of those, where you just know that no one really knows anything about lashes there and it's just the blinding the blind unfortunately sorry if anyone from amazing lashes listening <laughs> it's just not you know that's not what we wanted to be we always were like if we're gonna do it we want it still to be like our home sh mothership and i think you can do that it just takes a little bit of planning and thought you know process yes exactly i agree 100 percent now for you, with the transition of your team, how did they handle it? Were they happy? Were they excited? Were they scared? I mean, obviously change is always scary for teams. They don't know if this is the beginning of the end. They don't know what the bigger plan is. I mean, how did you take them through this and how did they handle it? For some of them, they were just going down a couple of doors. So they're all excited. And then the ones that were coming from the other location and coming to this side of town, they were scared. But I, I think it's great that they were able to tell me that they were scared. Yeah. Tell me what their like doubts were because that means that that we have a pretty like communication there. They like keeping it to themselves or just saying spouse. So I just I guess I just tried to tend really hard to their clients, trying to make sure that they came over and trying to fill their books and just really paying attention to that because they just didn't want to go from fully booked to like half. Yeah. So most of the clients followed and came along, so you didn't lose much traffic. Yeah, I actually incentivized all of the clients from that location and gave them a discount like for a few fills to oh. come see the new location and get it done. And you'll fall in love with this side of town in this area. And most of them, yeah, we keep. And some of them, of course, they because they were from way farther out and they were already driving here. They couldn't go there. But it's fine because this side of town that we're in, we're, we've already made those clientele that we've missed out on we've made them back so mm -hmm. and how how big is the new location i know you have other space but right now what's the total size and what are you utilizing out of that i guess it is 4300 square ouch 43 oh my gosh it's big um a thousand square feet of it that is that big room that can really be anything that's where i'm trying to do the school and We've got seven private rooms, but we also have beds in that big space um, for the ones that are like in training because we have a couple girls in training. Mm -hmm. So we're, yeah, we're making it work and we're overstaffed right now. So like we're kind of, we're 
minimize like every single day, like every bed being filled. Like we'll have like a slow day or something where a couple of people are on the books and a lot of the girls are off. But for the most part, it's it's working well. Um, it fits in the budget. I made sure. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, so and I think especially when the school is there, it's it's so separate from everything, you know, the where the real clients are going. That I don't know. I'm excited uh, to see if that's you know in part of the plan and if that's gonna like come to fruition and stuff. That'll be really nice to like have you know students maybe become like the next pink ladies and stuff. So yeah, I mean the truth is the beauty. What you're doing is something literally like ten years ago we we realized that a lot of the biggest hair salons, most successful hair salons, amazingly were connected beauty schools. Like, I didn't realize that. I started talking, meeting owners, and reading about people, and they'd be like, blah, 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 from the Dallas, Texas, this well-known hair salon that has, like, eight hair salons. They also have their beauty college. And then I started seeing that over and in other parts of the world and in the country, and it's like, oh, my gosh. They don't have to worry about finding and hiring people. They have their own pipeline feeding them potential students all the time that they can pick and choose the best. And, and the good news is they get to know them, right? Because like in the hair world, it's like a year through the program. So you know by the end of that year, like, no, that's someone I would never hire. Or yeah, that's someone like an all-star. So for you to be able to have someone, let's say it takes them three, four months to go through the program, yeah. you know, it's a great idea. Yeah, so my thinking is like, they're paying me for the training instead of paying them for three months to get really, really good. And we can yeah. pick who we want because we don't have very high turnover. Like we don't usually have a lot of space for new people, but anyway, we'll see. I, I don't know, but hopefully. Yeah. I think it's, it's a good model. And I think I don't really know if any lash salons have done that yet. You'd be breaking ground and setting the, setting the, like, you know, you've done the other things. So that's going to be kind of cool to see your journey and how that goes. If Joseph's watching, he should be thinking about doing that with the last bar down in San Diego. <laughs> yeah. Because, and then honestly, I really think I'm going to, I need to talk to Joseph again about this because I really was interested in franchising too, because it would just be so nice to like have somebody that came to school there, worked for you for a little bit, became a manager, and then as a franchise partner. Like, how crazy is that? Yeah, you, well, you should talk to um, uh, Liv Bay, too, Mike and Shana. Uh, they talked about that model. They had one person that did do that. Uh -huh. And I know that they want work. I don't know if they're still doing that because they're really focused on products and training. So I don't know if they deviated their game plans. But I know that they were totally talking about that. And so it's great is – Way, the best way to keep employees, and this is how I found out towards the end before we close, is people stay when they feel like they have a career path, right? Yeah. If they just think, all I'm going to do the rest of my life is lashes, okay, I can do that for a while, but eventually I'm going to go do my own thing. But if you can lay out to them and say, hey, when you join us, first year or two, yeah, you're doing lashes, then you become a manager and an in-house trainer. So you're going to be training people, and, or if you have your school, we have a school, you can be over there training too, and you get paid by the way to train, so you save your hands, your back, and all that, you can actually just be teaching and all that. And then maybe after three or four years or maybe less, whatever the, the whoever has earned the right, we'll, uh, we'll launch you and uh, help you get started with your own program. I mean, who wouldn't want to join a company and help be part of that? I mean, that, that's a, a beautiful track and that's something that I think you can do. I, I mean, I just, knowing you and your, your kind of go-to attitude, so. Yeah, I, I feel like there's certain times in my life when like I talk to someone or like something happens 
questions and I'm like, oh God, like, is this the next thing that I'm going to be thinking about? Like before I go to bed for the next like six months before I but like, so after I talked to Joseph and even like Roxy, like whenever I talked to her, I was like, oh God, like, am I supposed to be doing this? Because it's feeling like I'm supposed to be doing this. And station <laughs> is like, I don't know, it's part of it. And I don't know, I just get inspired by everyone in this industry. Like there's so many things you can do in this industry. Like it's wild. So we'll see what happens, but I have the space to kind of do whatever I want to do in it and we'll see. Yeah. Now a few more questions and then maybe if people want to jump on, ask some questions, they can put those in the question box. Otherwise we will just wrap it up at some point here soon. But I thought I would like to know, just looking back at your journey, what were some takeaways? And if you were the, someone else is about to jump into the salon ownership thing, what would be some things you'd share with them? Say here, let me give you some tips on what you're doing. Take some classes in leadership and counting and budgeting. Don't just go into a pay structure because you see someone else doing it. Don't prices or anything else other than what your actual expenses are. And then always come from a place of like kindness and be tactful, especially when you're talking to anyone with your team. Don't gossip with your team. You guys made a post about that today, and I was like. Yeah. This is, yes, such a theme in my life right now. Gossip is terrible. Yeah, just come from a place of, like, kindness. If you're in a bad mood, don't respond to, to like, a team member. <laughs> a, just a normal question. It's going to feel like the most annoying question ever if you're in a bad mood. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of things can wait till the next day. You don't need to bug your team every day. They don't think about things as much as you do, um, et cetera, stuff like that. That's good. No, I, I love the first thing when you talk about leadership. I think a lot of people don't realize that if you've never been a leader in your life, let's just say I used to, someone who said, I've heard someone say this, like if you look turn behind you and no one's following you, you might not be a leader. <laughs> but if you've been that type of person who in high school, in beauty school, wherever you go, you tend to be the one that, hey, Shelby, can you take care of this? And you're like, yeah, I, I'm a leader. I do this. And knowing you and the way you are, I'm sure you were probably that kind of person growing up that you kind of like, were a person that I'm guessing I may be wrong, but I just felt like you, when I first met you, I said this person's got like some skills and understands what it takes to lead, take chances Thanks. and be bold. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, it, leadership is so, it's so, so much like what we do day to day is like, and I'm a servant leader. Like I don't just go in and tell people what to do. I get in there and do well. That's, that's a big thing too. No, it is. I remember I was working in a restaurant. I was a manager. I was the advanced guy. And my, one of my closest friends was the GM. And we were sitting there in the restaurant and the bar was swarmed. It's like, they're just like, I don't know, I built tons of people, hundreds of people around this bar. There's two bartenders that are just trying to get people drinks out. And I'm like, hey, Chris, we need to go help him out. And he's like, no. And I'm like, wait, wait, because I'm the leader. My job is to sit here and oversee things, make sure everything's working and going on. And I'm like, but man, they're dying in there. They're literally being, people are, might be leaving the bar soon or in their, rest, in their club if they don't get served. So, so I, I said, well, I'm going to go in. So I went down and helped them out. And, then, and they were so impressed because I was so I was just new to the team. And they were like, dude, no one from management ever has helped us before. And that was really, I think, a sad new precedent that, no, I'm here to serve you guys as much as I want you to do what I tell you. But more importantly, I'm here to be in the trenches with you to get things done. Yeah. And I 
that was a good lesson for me to say, no, this is how I want to lead. Because otherwise, man, if you just think being a last boss means bossing people, um, you're going to be that person that no one likes. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, Christy Lee says, yes, eaters, leaders eat last is a great leadership book. Anything by Simon Sinek is a great leadership book. He's really one of the best minds when it comes to mindset and understanding what it takes to be a good leader. And yeah, read books, watch, listen to podcasts, listen to Shelby's thing, because her podcast, she's always interviewing leaders and they're always sharing wisdom and tips. And I think there's a lot to gain from that, listening to other people. That's how I feel like this last 10 years, I've been on this education journey of podcasts and books. And I just, I mean, at first start, I wasn't though. When I remember when I first got into the business, I was like, it's okay, we'll just, you know, I'll work maybe 20 hours a week, show up to work when I want. I took it easy, kind of do my own thing. And then just everything went haywire and we couldn't make money. And it was just chaos and no one cared. And it was like, this, I wasn't leading. I was just like bossing people, I guess. So important skill. <laughs> For you, this will be the last question, I think. And then we'll see if anyone else has anything else. When it comes to opening a second location, what do you feel like would be a good reason to open a second location? And what tips would you say you would give someone, once they do, like, hey, watch out for this or make sure you do this with that second location. Because really, once you get past that one, it's like a parent with two kids, you can control it. But once you have three kids and now you're outnumbered and it gets really difficult. So I kind of always say, kind of look at parenting and being slum owner. It's kind of the same thing. You're, you're taking care of people, you're serving people, you're loving them, but you're holding them accountable. There's so much going on. So is there any tips or any advice you'd give people on that? Yeah. Um... I think you mentioned, you said it earlier and that puts it best. Like, um, if you're turning people away that it's time to start thinking about like, if you want to expand or not or raise your prices, I just wouldn't do it just because you want more anything like more money, more. Cause some, it doesn't even mean you're going to get more free time. It doesn't mean you're going to make more money necessarily, especially in the beginning, possibly. Maybe if you went into it just, like you said, as a necessity. And, yeah, and I and I, I think that what you said about um, raising your prices first, great idea. Yeah. <laughs> Max that out. Get to the ceiling where you just cannot, like, you're the most expensive person or salon. Then you're like, all right, I think maybe if I raise it again, that might be too much. Maybe it's time to expand. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah, and that, and that way you maximize your profits too. You're not because like for you, I think I'm sure. I remember when I first met you. I said, "Man, imagine you have to pay two rents, having to pay insurance for two locations, paying for all the everything else, the phone bills, the for us like the music we play in the salon. Like you're doing double everything. Yeah, and that can really be a weight around you, especially if the new place isn't fully booked out, like your new place, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's definitely not for the faint-hearted. And hopefully for those of you listening and those watching here, yeah, that's hopeful for you. Hopefully you're either encouraged to go for it because you're like, man, all the stuff you've heard sounds great, man. I'm ready for this next stage because I'm kind of bored at my level of where I'm at now. Great, but for a lot of people, more rightfully so, I think hopefully you're a little bit more like, okay, yeah, maybe this is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone has their own situations and stories, and it probably works for some people and not for others, but it just wasn't, it, it didn't feel right. And I, I, I felt like I was being, I just had, was running in circles the same, doing the same things all the time, just to keep the two salons like afloat, and it just was too much. So that wasn't for me. 
No, great. Well, I appreciate it so much, Shelby. You are very generous to give me your time and let everyone share a little bit about you and your journey. And um, and if there's anyone right now that has any questions, um, we'd be more than glad to answer some questions. I know we've had an army of people come and go, it seems like, through this whole time. And I kind of really want to get my questions out first before I, we took others, because this part probably won't be in the actual podcast. This will be the part that uh, I cut off, but I want to get through that. So, um, hey, Savannah's another person who knows your your. <laughs> Your pain. She's made some huge changes in her business. We just actually interviewed her also, and she's going to be on the podcast in the coming month. We're going to talk about her journey of closing, opening, and all her crazy stuff. She's I thought about her whenever I was closing. I was like, but Savannah's making it work. Like, <laughs> But it was nice to see that she pivoted too. Yeah. It felt like, okay, you know, I'm not, it's maybe not something wrong with me. Maybe I am making the right decision. Yeah, I think you are. And I, I, I mean, if I was you during this time, I think I'm almost 100% sure I would have made the same move. Like, you know what? One location bigger is better than two smaller locations because it's simpler to manage. And you now have more opportunity with 4,300 square feet, only mackerel. You can do some great stuff. I know. You could also royally mess that up, but I'm not going to let that happen. Well, you've been around the block a few times now. So you, you know better. And I feel like, like, does your strategies student – you've been told to know your numbers. Yeah. And if you know your numbers, you're able to pivot and adjust. Like I, I knew our numbers so well that when so, even before we would be slow, if I saw pre-bookings slowing down or rebooks from even new clients was going down, I knew I saw a problem there and I could address it. Like I could be right. before the next month came where it'd be slow. Like, look, what's happened? We saw a slight dip. Or we, did we do something differently? Or I would be able to see a team member. Maybe the team, I would be on our side of the team members kind of checking out because the clients aren't rebooking. You know, so those are great things you can track. And if you understand those numbers, you're able to really effectively manage and, and put the energy in the right place to keep the machine going forward without having to lose, lose it all. So, well, I don't see any questions. So I think that we, you've succeeded. We've answered every possible question in the world. <laughs> and we've, uh, maybe not that, but that's it. Uh, we've got a quiet group. But that's it. I appreciate Shelby so much. And uh, hopefully we'll um, – I've never taken a podcast from here yet. I know that you're now able to download the video and uh, repurpose it. So I want to hopefully make this into a podcast episode. We'll see what happens. Cool. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me on. I yeah. And otherwise, we'll uh, hopefully see you at uh, LashCon. And do you know anything about LashBoss Conference and what your plans are yet this year? No, I actually might do another virtual one in the beginning of the year. I, oh, it's the currently doing one this spring and then maybe doing an in-person one at the end of the year still. Like we, we talked about that. Yeah. But yeah, okay. I'll be at LashCon for sure. So... We definitely hope you would be there. You're, it's, it's, uh, it's hopefully it'll be really our, I mean, I guess a lot of people are hoping to go IBS right now, but yeah. it fears IBS is going to be kind of like hit and miss. Like some people just won't go, but hopefully by November, it's like, no, everyone's allowed. We can travel, um, we can go. Crazy. People are like yearning to be going to these things. Like I'm so excited to get in touch with everybody again. And yeah, it's going to be great. So I'm excited for LashCon for sure. Yeah, so that's November 6th with eight guys. 
it's actually going to be three days now. We got stuff going on for all three days, um, and we have parties all three nights. So Saturday, Sunday, and Monday night parties, um, and we got some other things we're working on that will hopefully uh, enhance the experience and make it even more cool. And so, guys, if anyone's watching and you don't know anything about this, just sign up, become a Last Cast Insider. Just go to the link in our bio, sign up for the email, and you'll get the information when we launch all this stuff. Probably. I'm hoping in the next month or two we'll begin that. We're probably two months to be able to launch it so everyone knows because I know that um, I'm just waiting to make sure that the, the country doesn't melt down again before I launch. I just don't want to like, hey, we're doing this, and then, no, we're not. <laughs> yeah, I get it. It's been it's painful. So, hey, Tess, well, thank you, Tess. By the way, uh, we, um, I love you too, by the way, Tess. Thank you for um, putting <laughs> Bye. All right, shall we? Thanks so much. We will, I'm sure, chat, chat again. See, I'll give your, um, your look, I saw your baby. He got uh, a hold of chocolate and makes it look like she, uh, he pooped all over your bed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was very funny. <laughs> Thank you so much again for having me. Always a pleasure. You bet. Talk to you soon. Well, that's it, guys. That's a wrap. That's all we have for you today. Thank you so much for hanging out. I want to ask you to please follow us on Instagram at Lashcast Podcast and at the Last Conference. And remember to subscribe, share, and review. On behalf of my last chap, Tusney, as well as our special guest, Shelby, I want to thank you for taking some time to listen. Keep on lashing, and remember, you have a friend in the lash industry.